Our title suggests a clean slate, but is that actually possible? Can we actually understand salvation if we have no memory of what we've been saved from? Welcome to The Good Word. I'm Alden Thompson, host and study guide author for our discussions this quarter on Life Everlasting on Death, Dying, and Future Hope. I'm Professor Emeritus of Biblical Studies from the Walla Walla University School of Theology. My conversation partners, Dodie Washburn and Dave Thomas, are also from the School of Theology. Now, let's go back to that question, and I'd like for us just to be uh, freewheeling here. What is it that attracts you about the promise of a new earth? Well, one of the things that comes very quickly to my mind is that the tilt we have toward wrong and evil that seems to crop up so much in human beings will not be there. You know, I once preached a sermon entitled, How Much Can I Sin and Still Get to Heaven? And I marvel to this day that there were six people that morning who caught me in the lobby before church wanting to know about that sermon. I've never had a title that generated that kind of interest before. And it's a statement about, you know, we, we, we want to dabble in both worlds. How much can I sin and still get to heaven? Of course, it reflects also the uh, absolutist view yeah. that if I fall short just a little bit, yeah, yeah. boom. Yeah. See? But, but um, you know, the, this predisposition toward evil will yeah. be gone. And I, I'm, that, to me, is very good news. Yeah. When in First Corinthians 15, when it talks about we'll be changed, I think that's one of the things that will change. That's one of the things that will be changed, yeah. Our cussedness will disappear. <laughs> I think that it's, it's very freeing to imagine not having our sense of identity and value so deeply tied to possessions, to reputation, to any of these things that we, I don't know, it's so easy to identify ourselves with how how people perceive us, how much money we have, how much influence or power we have. You mean it's not have. true that the one with the most in the end wins? No. Oh. No. And when I think of all things new, I think what a, you know, you use the, the phrase clean slate, Alden, um, to be free of, of that cumbersome identifying with things that are not who we are um, is amazing. And I, I can't help, I, I like picture, language pictures. When I was a child, I had this my, my perfect world was a room where, this was in my imagination, just to clarify, where I could work on an art project. All the paper and glue and scissors would be out, and I'd just be, like, creating beautiful things. I've never liked to clean, so my idea of a perfect room was a conveyor belt. So every day, <laughs> my workstation from that previous day would just, like, magically roll away, and I would have a clean set of desks with all my art supplies and you know, material all set out. And when you said out loud that phrase, right, the the, the clean slate. Um, That's what you thought of. I thought of that picture, of, of that, the idea of that freedom of creativity, right? Uh, that, that we have a clean slate and we can then join God in the creative enterprise. But, but my mind also goes back to your favorite passage you quoted some weeks ago out of uh, um, Isaiah about nobody will hurt or destroy. God's vegetarian. Kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that to me, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that depiction is wonderful, that you would actually be in a place where 
destructive things, um, dangerous things, bad things, evil things will simply not be present. You know, I ran across this morning in a book by Valerie Kaur uh, called "See No Stranger." And she has the very first chapter of her of her memoir is about wonder. And she talks about her experience of wonder as a child. And one of the lines that stood out to me this morning was she said, and I'm not going to be able to quote it, but essentially, when we lose our sense of wonder, we actually open the way for violence. Hmm. And igniting, right, maintaining our sense of wonder maintains the channel the capacity for growing love and also i think wonder is is only a half step away from worship yes i think the dynamic of wonder very quickly leads to worship and it allows for what we talked about earlier in the quarter about all these dynamics right we need to give up ourselves but we also need to stay interconnected relationally with god with each other and the social science research on awe for instance talks about how wonder and awe encapsulates all of that. Mm-hmm. When, we, when we bump into something that ignites wonder or awe, we simultaneously experience what, what some researchers call a, a small sense of self, oh, but not in a negative way, mm-hmm. in a way that actually makes us feel more interconnected with the created world, with, with other people, and with a sense of something bigger than ourselves. So it's kind of sad that the wonder that is and that is so common among children is replaced by skepticism amongst adults. It is sad, and I think yeah. that's why I some of these women who are writing now, I mean, some of these books that are focusing on wonder have just come out in the last few years, and and reading them, I feel like it is a it in a in a in a broad sense a prophetic call to really cultivate wonder, the kind what you're saying that we have. But also wonder, wonder is also produced by the, the realization that you don't know everything. Yes. Which is distressing to some people. Openness, you, you, you curiosity. Can, you, you cannot know everything. And have wonder. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the fact is you cannot, no matter how hard you try, you will not know everything. And so you can frequently run into wonder and, you know, when I teach systematic theology, I, I try to talk about wonder. Like, I mean, the doctrine of the Trinity is not fully understandable. And I said it participates in mystery, and before mystery, we wonder. We are filled with wonder in the face of mystery. Yeah. And I think that theologians should be more humble and recognize that we cannot describe everything, that sometimes we have to surrender to mystery and be filled with wonder. And that's not just about nature, right? It's not just when we stand at the base of a huge waterfall or we think about, no. uh, you know, a, a doctrine that goes beyond our understanding. But it's also like looking at our own lives and our own unfolding stories with a sense of wonder. Um, I I recently went on a long distance hike, like about eighty five miles, divided up over uh, a week or so. And one of the things that I saw on that hike were walls made of sandstone blocks. And this was so incredibly moving to me to stand in front of these walls made out of the same sandstone. It all it was all the same color, had the same sandy texture, but each block had a completely different pattern that had been etched into the sandstone block by the wind mm. beating against that wall. And for me it became an image of each of our lives, right? My life, your life, 
Each of us, we're made in the image of God. God formed us out of the dust of the ground, right? And we all are part of something bigger, part of something bigger than any one of us alone. And yet, the journey of our lives unfolds, and that it's like a piece of art looking at those sandstone mm-hmm. blocks. Each one has different grooves and crevices and patterns. Was that in Scotland? It was, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you've looked at some walls like that, too. <laughs> well, Scotland is a bit of a disease. Once it gets a hold of you, it's it's hard to shake. I, there's one section here I put in, and we don't have a lot of time, but uh, seeing God without fear or guilt is, is the heading I've given. <clears throat> now, there are a couple of passages in the Bible we've all heard that you can't see God. And live. And live. You have uh, Exodus, I mean, 1 Timothy 6, 16, New Testament passage, and Exodus 33, 18 to 23, where God says, all right, you can't see me, but you go on the cleft of the rock, and I'll put my hand over you, and then I'll pass by. See, those two kind of loom fairly large. But there are at least three other passages, in fact, one I just discovered this week, that indicate that men have seen God, but at the same time, are haunted by guilt and fear because they think they're not supposed to. One is Genesis thirty-two twenty-two to 32, where Jacob gets his blessing. And uh, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. But he goes out there and he says, I have seen God face to face mm. and am still alive. That's a fascinating passage. Also, with um, the other passages... Exodus 24, 9 to 11, when Moses went up on the mountain with Aaron, Nabad, Nadab, and Abihu, they saw the God of Israel under his feet. There was something like a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the Israelites, but beheld God, they ate and drank. The author knew what the rules were. You see God, that should be the end. And the other one that I found was Manoah. It's a fascinating experience when you read it in Judges 13, where Manoah asks to uh, have the same vision that his wife had. And when the angel of the Lord came and devoured the sacrifice, Manoah was horrified. I've seen the angel of the Lord. And his wife intervened and said, now wait a minute. Do you think God would kill you? If he's actually answering your prayer. So you have these bits and pieces in the biblical text that shows um, that it is possible to see God. You may be frightened by fear, afraid, guilt, but it is possible to see it in a positive way. But when all things are made new, we will not be afraid. Nobody will be afraid. To see God. But I want to read... One of my favorite passages. Actually, I've done this, I think. Usually our last lesson finishes on and the last chapters of Great Controversy, the last paragraphs of Great Controversy are, are such wonderful ones. But I want to use a different one to conclude this time. C.S. Lewis, Letters to Malcolm. What the soul cries out for is the resurrection of the senses. Then the new earth and sky, the same yet not the same as these, will rise in us as we have risen in Christ. And once again, after who knows what eons of the silence and the dark, the birds will sing and waters flow. Light and shadows move across the hills. 
and the faces of our friends laugh upon us with amazed recognition. Guesses, of course, only guesses. If they are not true, something better will be, for we will know that we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. So that concludes our discussions. We focused on the glorious vision of the new world, as promised in both Testaments, though more closely articulated in the new. Our hope is that we will see God without fear or guilt, hope that was not often realized even by characters in the Bible. But God will make all things My thanks to Dave Thomas and Jody Washburn, my conversation partner, to Kristen Byerly, our program engineer, and to each of you for listening in for the good word. I'm Alden Thompson. You've been listening to Good Word, a production of the School of Theology at Walla Walla University and KGTS-FM. To order a copy of today's broadcast, you can call 509-527-2194. Thanks for listening, and we'll be here next week at this time with Good Word.